Previously on Urge to Kill. Dispatch, how can I help you? I need to have an officer call me. My daughter is missing. It didn't even cross my mind that there was anything other than just something explainable. She was going to pop up. But then her phone would just go straight to voicemail over and over. And then it just stopped. The lieutenant of our detective unit called me early on on Monday morning and just said, hey, just so you know, that girl didn't show up for work this morning. And I was like, damn it. That definitely wasn't a good sign. This room is recorded, just so you know. So our conversation is being recorded right now. Um, Just want to make sure that I say that. It's the early morning hours of Tuesday, July 26th. Exactly 48 hours since anyone seen Kaylee Sawyer. A rookie cop in Bend, Oregon, is being interviewed by two detectives. This is a tough night. It's been a long night. Um, it's going to get longer. And I know you don't know me very well, but um, this is a different interview, I think, for everybody. Um, so could you tell me how this whole thing transpired? Um, They're interviewing Isabel Ponce Lara. Saturday was number day he went to work. He did go to work? In the afternoon. She's just turned in her own husband for killing someone. And now... No one can find him. I'm your host, Ashley Korslin. This is episode two of Urge to Kill, a KGW original. Yeah, the devil's going to take me home. Isabel Ponce Lara is a brand new police officer. She lives with her husband, Edwin, in the town of Redmond, Oregon. It's about 17 miles from Bend. She's found herself in the middle of a nightmare, one where her personal and work lives have collided. Less than 24 hours ago, Edwin confessed to her that he hit a woman with his car and then hid the body. Having seen the news of a missing woman in the next town over, Isabel knows the woman Edwin's talking about is Kaylee Sawyer. And before she can stop him, Edwin takes her gun and their car and runs. She's already done hours of interviews since she turned Edwin in the day before. As far as I know, he told me. Now, here she sits, in front of detectives again. Because police haven't been able to find him, they need more information from Isabel. So our main concern, number one, is that nobody else gets hurt. And that's, that's the one thing that I think we can't legitimately get past at this point in time. Um, just with some of the details we know, some of the patterns of things that we've investigated in the past or what have you. Uh, she looks uncomfortable, sitting in the corner of a stark white interview room. Whatever it may be. Her arms are crossed and she nods answers to routine questions. You can tell she's rattled. Um, our main concern is that someone else doesn't get hurt, and, and that includes Edwin. Absolutely. Okay. They're worried Edwin might hurt someone else. He's desperate and has nowhere to run, and they know he's the key to finding Kaylee. The detectives ask Isabel to walk them through everything she remembers, starting with the night it all happened. Um, what time do you do you remember him was, coming home? That was it. I don't remember what time he got home. Um, I'm going to ask you for things that I'll be honest with a girl. I don't. I don't want to ask you. I don't want to ask for. I just don't. But we have to. 
That's Detective James McLaughlin of the Deschutes County Sheriff's Office. He's sitting to Isabel's right with a recording device and his notebook in front of him. He's doing most of the talking. What I'm looking to do. A second detective sits in the corner, observing. Like when he works a graveyard like he did on on Saturday night, he starts at like 3 p.m. What time? Like does he work like a 12-hour shift or? Uh, it's, it's always changing. It's always changing. She tells them Edwin worked late Saturday night, that he came home and went to bed with her, just like any other night. So not sure on what time he got off or what time he came home, but when you woke up, he was asleep and you guys were both kind of waking up at the same time. Mm-hmm. Is that correct? Yeah. And you were both planning on, or you would normally both go to church? Yeah. Um, Isabel and Edwin wake up Sunday morning and go to church. She notices him acting oddly quiet, reserved, but she doesn't say anything. They've been going through a rough patch and she doesn't want to make it worse. Later in the afternoon, they grab pizza and they go home to watch Netflix. And then Edwin decides he wants to see a movie. They pick up Edwin's cousin Vinny and they go see the 2016 horror flick, Lights Out. And so through, through this whole time up to when you're going to the movie, anything stand out to you? No, not at that point. So They drop Vinny off at his house after the movie, then go back to their home around midnight. They take a shower and go to sleep. The next morning, Isabel wakes up around 9. Edwin is still in bed, so she goes to turn on the sprinklers and then watches a little TV. Around 10.30, Edwin finally comes out of their bedroom, but he's visibly upset. Isabel asks him what's wrong, but she's not prepared for what he's about to tell her. So he comes out of the room, and his eyes were all teary. That's why I'm like, what happened? Tell me what happened. What's wrong? So he sits on the sofa, I turn off the TV, and then he just says that. He's like, I, I kill a woman, that's what he said. And I'm like, what do you mean? Then he's like, I hit her with the car. And did he tell you which car? He said the the security, the, the job, the car that they used at the job. And what And what did you say to that? So I'm like, what do you mean? What, what, what do you mean you hit her? And he's like, yeah, I hit her and I panic. And I'm like, what do what do you mean by you hit her panicking? What did you do? Did did he say I hit her in a panic? He said I don't remember exactly the words that he said, but he said something that he hit her with the car. Yeah. And then he panicked. So then I asked him, like, that's what I was trying for him to explain to me. So you hit her with the car. That's an accident. Yeah. Why? What do you mean you panic? What, what do you mean? She walks the detectives through the next few critical minutes. How Edwin admits to hiding Kaylee's body and putting her belongings in the shed behind their house. He says something in regards to their, her stuff is in the shed. Her stuff is in the shed. She says Edwin then takes her gun and their car and leaves. And I'm not really quite understanding. Isabel's emotions take over. She starts crying. <laughs> it wasn't making any sense to me because I'm like, why would somebody and somebody that do that, especially you, especially him? Like, it doesn't make any sense. She can't make sense of any of it. If it was really an accident and he hit her with his car, why would Edwin hide the body? Where is the body? And why didn't he confess sooner instead of pretending like nothing happened?
uh, what had been reported to us by the suspect's wife was alarming. That's Lieutenant Eric Beckwith, who's a detective with the Redmond Police Department. He's one of the lead investigators assigned to the case. And we knew that we uh, we were behind the behind the gun, so to speak, um, and we were already playing catch-up. So that was an immediate response. Because everything is developing so quickly, the initial information that officials give out to the media and the public is what Isabel told police, that Edwin hit Kaylee with his car on accident. Detectives don't know that he bludgeoned her with a rock, and they don't know yet that he raped her. That's because they haven't found her body. But investigators do know Edwin is armed and panicked which means he's desperate and dangerous. I mean, did you think that this was somebody who did, you know, make a mistake, hit somebody accidentally, panicked and took off, or did you know you were looking for someone far more dangerous? Well, we knew he was dangerous based on his wife's statements. Um, and, you know, you kind of, uh, when you do those investigations, you try not to make assumptions that it was an accident, right? Um, but in our minds, we knew that that's not what reasonable people do. Um, some people leave the scene of accidents because they're scared, but they, they return a short time later or something like that. But um, that's not what Ed did. Police put out a bolo alert. It means be on the lookout. It's a warning sent to police agencies to keep an eye out for a particular car or person involved in a crime. Isabel tells investigators that Edwin is probably heading south to Los Angeles. His grandpa lives there, and they're really close. Police are also pinging Edwin's phone, still trying to pinpoint his location. The electronics portion of the investigation is highly important, so we were trying to research phone numbers or associated phone numbers with the suspect, as well as Kaylee, and we were trying to ping all of those phone numbers uh, to try to give us a location of either Ed or Kaylee. And where were they pinging to? Do you remember? Initially, I remember some of the cell phone pings for the phone number we had from Ed uh, pinged in this area, uh, some, some near Eagle Crest. Um, and eventually the phone went dead or the, the power was turned off and we didn't have any information on its location. How, how accurate are those pings typically? Uh, sometimes they can be very accurate, um, but I would say the majority of time they give you uh, quite, a, quite a, a geographical area to cover. Um, sometimes it can be miles, sometimes it can be within a couple thousand feet, um, but it gives you the closest um, information to the tower, uh, or whatever cell phone is closest to which tower, um, and there's a lot of towers. Another team of investigators start executing search warrants. They go to Edwin and Isabel's house in Redmond. The house is small and tan with brown trim. It has an old beat-up basketball hoop mounted above the garage. Nothing about this home looks remarkable or out of place from the outside. But inside, on the dining room table, what looks like a half-eaten chicken wing is left on a plate next to a can of Coke. The sink is overflowing with dirty dishes, and an old pizza box is on the counter. Things are messy, like it was all left in a hurry. In the backyard, investigators focus their search on the shed where Isabel said they would find Kaylee's belongings. The detectives are nervous, anxious about what's inside. The shed is little, with wood paneling on the front. When they go in, detectives find some old electronics, a gas can, and a propane tank. And a bunch of yellow plastic bags are draped over studded snow tires. And in the mess of dusty yard tools and junk, 
detectives find the first tangible evidence that Edwin is connected to Kaylee's disappearance. They find a trash bag full of her stuff. They pull Kaylee's lime green purse out of the bag. It's soaked in blood. All of Kaylee's things from her night out at the bars are still in there. A favor from the bachelorette party, breath mints, a Band-Aid, chapstick, and a Safeway receipt for bottled water. They find Kaylee's wedge sandals and her passport. And then they make a horrifying discovery. Detectives find a clump of hair inside another plastic bag. It's Kaylee's hair. It's long and blonde, but looks much darker because it's matted with blood. Here's Detective Beckwith. Uh, we, we found a, quite a bit of evidence at Ed's house. Um, we found Kaylee's purse. We found a rock that was used to commit the crime. Um, and we found, you know, pretty, pretty damning evidence linking, um, you know, Ed to Kaylee's murder. Uh, also found a significant amount of evidence that disputed the fact that he had hit her with a car. Police are now figuring out that Edwin's confession to Isabel isn't matching the evidence. But given what they found at the Lara home, they now have enough to confirm their worst fears. Kaylee is likely dead, and they have to tell her family. I I remember just going to bed, and I was just so exhausted. And Jamie had disappeared for a little bit, for probably about 20 minutes. And I didn't hear the dogs barking, and evidently somebody had came over. It was the detectives. Here's Crystal. And I remember him coming upstairs, and I was still laying in bed. And he just stands at the end of the bed. And he said, my worst nightmares have just come true. And I said, up am I, what do you mean? He goes, it just switched from a missing person to all of a side. But we still had to carry on with the search party. And we couldn't tell anybody the whole time the next morning when we woke up. We didn't sleep a wink. And I think we were up and we couldn't tell a single soul that it was a murder and you're looking for her body and not her alive. Julie gets the same awful news. There was a knock on the door and I opened the door and it was uh, two state troopers there Um, and they were dressed in a suit and tie and I knew they were coming to tell me something bad and they introduced themselves and said that they were here to let us know that they hadn't found Kaylee but that Um, based on some new evidence. They were moving it from a missing person's case to a homicide. Julie doesn't remember much of what happens next. It's all a blur. The type of shock and pain and confusion that only a parent who's lost a child can understand. Um, We walked into the um, living room and I asked them if um, they could stay 
because now I needed to call my parents and tell them this and that. Um, could they stay and talk to my parents? And so then I went in and had to make the worst call I've ever made. Growing up here, dealing with everything that's going on now, I'm surprised this town's even standing. Bardstown, Kentucky is a small town in the heart of the Bluegrass State. But Bardstown, Kentucky also has secrets. Five unsolved murders over four years. Rumors and theories, and still no one is behind bars. I've been 100% grateful. Listen to what I'm saying. You listen to what I'm saying. Bardstown, a new podcast from Vault Studios. It's been you know, almost six years. There's still not a lot of answers. Back at Edwin Lara's house, detectives continue sorting through a mountain of evidence when they find one more thing in the shed that gives them chills. Two poster board presentations, one about Adolf Hitler and another about a prolific serial killer. You know, not only does he do research on serial killers, but uh, the serial killers that he picked um, kind of mimic the crime that he committed um, and that's, that's stuff that's still concerning to me to this day. Um, you know, the, the, some of the cases he investigated were about uh, killers who had used weapons or means opportuni- opportunistic things that were available to them at the scene to kill people. Uh, and he does the same thing. You know, he uses a rock um, in his hands to kill Kaylee. And so, you know, those are some of the things we found during the search warrant and through our investigation into his background that were definitely alarming. The presentation was for a college psychology class, and it's graphic. It's about the railroad killer, a train-hopping drifter who was linked to at least 15 murders near railroad tracks around the U.S. in the late 90s. Edwin used red paint to resemble blood spatter and bloody handprints all over the poster board. And front and center are two pictures of a dead body, one of the railroad killer's victims. After this startling discovery, investigators need to learn more from Isabel and quickly. So I'm just going to ask you some basic history stuff with him and see what comes to your mind. I mean, be brutally honest um, and um, I'll just try and lay it out there, not because I have any ideas, but just because it's standard standard questions. Um, has he ever been or have you ever known him to, to be violent or to act out in in moments of rage not just a violent person in general but just to be overwhelmed with rage and act out in that in any kind of way okay you so you would say that like personality wise you would not describe him in that way at all no and you don't know of any kind of drug use and no kind of overage of alcohol use did he ever drink on the job no, none, none of that I ever knew about. Did, does he drink at all? Not we. We both decided to stop drinking since I would say since February or March or so. Okay. okay. So we decided to start going to church again. So we stopped. Okay. 
She admits Edwin had recently had an affair while she was away at the police academy in a town a couple hours from their home. She says Edwin cheated on her with a woman he met in California, but she doesn't know her name. How'd you find out? He told me. Was he acting strange? Did you, I mean, or did he just kind of come out and tell you? He just told me just like that. Detectives ask her if Edwin was envious of her career. He always wanted to be a police officer, and maybe a twinge of jealousy caused a rift in their marriage. Was he happy that you were getting into law enforcement? I went into law enforcement thinking that I had his support. We talked about it many times before. Isabel breaks down crying and can barely get the words out. She tells them how Edwin initially supported her choice to be a cop, but things fell apart when she went to the police academy. We've been really close all these years. And the only thing kind of that I felt something was just odd was when I went to the academy. Okay, and you were gone for a while too, so there's a lot that he could have had going on, I guess, yeah, there. Yeah, and that's around the time that he told me about the affair. Did he seem remorseful about that? Was yeah, that guilty I mean, he was carrying? He, he, he seemed, yeah, he seemed, yeah, he, he got on his knees. He was asking for forgiveness. So you said you didn't think it was a one-time thing or it was a one-time thing? No, he, he made it seem like it was a one-time thing. I don't think it was. Okay. But I never really found out, like, I never really found out the truth, you could say that. Um, is there any other affairs that you know of? It's the only affair that I know of. Okay. Nothing yeah. locally. This lady, like I said, supposedly is from California. Okay. After she found out about the affair, Isabel says she went on several ride-alongs with Edwin at his job at COCC. She doesn't say exactly why. Maybe she wants to spend more time with him, or maybe she doesn't trust him when he's by himself. Do you know much about his job? Um, does he travel with a partner, or is he usually alone most most of the Whereas time? As I know, he's usually alone. So, yeah, he just, he sh- especially at night, he just patrols and he's by himself or whatnot, patrols the whole campus. Is there any areas that were, like, out of the way that he took you to on any of those ride-alongs that were, like, super discreet, super, like, kind of hidden, like, public wouldn't see it? Yeah. And would that like, be kind of his was, normal? He was, yeah, he said that because he would do his rounds. So there were parts where he would, I don't know if everybody goes through that, but he would go like a dirt road okay. and get to another section, patrol that building. It's kind of like the back roads to the actual pads. Okay. They ask her a couple more questions about Edwin's campus security job. It's almost 1 a.m. They're all exhausted emotionally and physically, but they're just getting started because they still have no idea where Edwin is. And the clock is ticking. I'm going to ask, and it's going to be hard to do, but um, essentially what I'm looking to do is I'm looking to find him. They're about to have Isabel. And he can tell his side of the story, however it, it may, whatever it may be. Call Edwin. That's something that I know is going to be tough, but um, we'll kind of line out a few things to say, but you've known him for 11 years. I've known him in theory for eight hours, so um, I, I think that it's, it's pretty clear that you'll do a better job of 
knowing how to get information from them that I could lead you to, okay? I'm looking for simple things like, where are you? What's your plan? What are you doing? Um, you know, what car are you driving? Where'd you go? We may this time, if, if you feel like it. He doesn't answer. You want to run out? I want you to be ready, but I mean, I'm, oh, I'm ready as much as I am going to be. It's not going to get any better, is it? <laughs> the more I start later processing all this, it's not going to. So just call? Yeah. He doesn't answer. I'm sorry I missed your call. Your call may be a high priority to me, so please. What they don't know is that they're too late. Another young woman already went missing. Next time on Urge to Kill. And then everything just happened so fast. He just got into my car and at gunpoint was just forcing me to drive him. He was just telling me, like, as long as you get me to where I need to go, like, you'll you'll be alive. I'll make sure you're alive. Edwin Lara preys on a new victim. He was hunting for a woman. Yeah, he was. For you. Yeah. Yeah, the devil was going to take me home. Did you think he was going to kill you? I did. Urge to Kill is a KGW and Vault Studios production. Please subscribe and leave us a rating or review. We've got a lot more information, including videos and pictures, on kgw.com slash urge to kill. You can also follow us on Instagram at urge to kill podcast and join the Urge to Kill Facebook group on KGW's Facebook page. This show is written and hosted by me, Ashley Korslin. It's produced by me, Destiny Johnson, and Mila Mamitsa. It's edited by Zachary Carver and Destiny Johnson. Original artwork by Jeff Patterson and videography by Eric Patterson. Special thanks to Ellen Boynton and KGW management and staff. If you or a loved one are a victim of sexual assault, help is available 24-7. Call the National Sexual Assault Hotline at one 800 656 4673. Or you can find help at www.online.rain.org. That's R A I N N. Hi, Bardstown listeners. This is Jessica Knoll. If you're enjoying the show, you might also like True Crime Chronicles from Vault Studios. We bring you a new true crime story from across the country each week, digging into some lesser known cases you might not have heard of. So check out True Crime Chronicles. And of course, thanks for listening to Bardstown.